So this is an addendum to episode 59. After I finished recording it, it occurred to me that there might be some questions that arise in the minds of some of you out there. And also, I had some further thoughts about the text. Uh, the big question I think arises, which probably has arisen before, especially in the previous episode, episode 58, on chapter 23, where I spoke about, or I talked about how the text, or, or Matthew may have gotten it wrong, um, when he refers to Zechariah, son of Berechiah, he seems to be referencing one person where he probably meant another. But of course, I mean, I'm saying Matthew or the author of Matthew, but he attributes these words to Jesus. So did Jesus get it wrong? So, and again, in this episode, when we're talking about the prediction of Jerusalem, I talked about uh, the way Matthew writes it. He gets it from Mark. So I talked about the way Mark writes it and when it would have been written and then how Luke changed it to, to make it more accurate. Um, but of course, it's not just the gospel writers, right? Because they're attributing the, these words to Jesus. So did Jesus say these things and did he get it right? Um, so some of you may be, may be want, wondering that. Um, and I want to say that, first of all, scholars are all over the map on the relationship of the text to what Jesus actually said and did. Um, some scholars say it has very little relationship uh, other than maybe some basic things that he was crucified by the Romans um, and that he lived around that time. Um, others would say, uh, you know, that they believe Jesus said and did a lot of these things, um, but not exactly the way they are portrayed in the Gospels. And that we know it can't be exact because the gospels themselves change the details. They don't, they don't have the same details. Uh, just in chapter 24, uh, in this past, in this episode 59, uh, we saw that, you know, Luke says it one way, Mark and Matthew say it another way. Um, and I think I pointed this out before. Um, but, you know, in, in other episodes, just like this, Matthew, when it comes to the, the gathering demoniacs, Matthew has two of them. Mark only has one. So we know it can't be exact because the details change and sometimes the order of things changes uh, depending on which gospel writer uh, we're looking at. So um, now, it, it, so it's very possible. And this is the way a lot of people, especially people of faith, approach this, is that Jesus uh, said and did a lot of these things pretty close to what the gospel writers are writing or in the same spirit. And the gospel writers are just shaping them for their purposes and for their audiences at a specific time and place and situation. Uh, and so that's kind of what I'm going with, uh, that Jesus could very well have said these things. But of course, that brings up the question, well... Did Jesus predict the destruction of the temple or not? Uh, did he talk about um, how you know, his own martyrdom in this, or predict his own martyrdom, um, and talk about it in these ways or not? And um, you know what I think is that that Jesus could very well have predicted the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem and virtually all of Israel, and. You don't even have to appeal to supernatural knowledge for that 
because a perceptive person could see it coming, as I mentioned. And there were perceptive people that did see it coming because uh, the revolutionary tension was there for decades. And although for some people, they just got used to it. And, you know, it's always happening. Now we've got, and they might think, well, now we've got the temple, you know, with gold-plated temple. Well, now we're set. Nothing's ever going to happen. But perceptive people would see, no, you know, that's, it's still going to happen, <laughs> you know. Uh, that the gold-plated temple is not going to stop the tragedy from occurring. And and Jesus um, seems to have been a very brilliant and very insightful uh, prophetic uh, person. Um, you know, those of us uh, of the Christian faith, you know, believe that uh, he was the incarnate word of God, however you um, understand that. And so that he could have seen it coming, you know, you don't even have to appeal to supernatural knowledge, but not that you can't. Uh, I think you, you know, you can also believe that he, he saw these things coming supernaturally. Now, then the question is, well, did he get it, the details wrong? Because Mark and Matthew say that the abomination, the, the desecration of the temple happened, uh, they, they say it's going to happen, you know, at the beginning or they imply it will with enough time for people to flee. And that's the part that Luke changes uh, and says, when you see the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Roman troops surrounding uh, the city, then flee, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, so, and that's, that makes a little bit more sense because then you could, you could try to take off. Even, even then, before too long, it was too late to flee. But people were able to flee. Some people were, were able to flee um, when the Roman, you know, at the beginning of the conflict and when the Romans started coming. Um, but when the desecration of the temple happened, that would have been too late. They've already destroyed the city and they're already crucifying everybody and escape at that point would have been very difficult, uh, which is why, uh, Luke changes it. So did Jesus, uh, get that wrong? You know, I don't know. I don't want necessarily want to, uh, speculate about that. Um, I do find it more interesting to have a Jesus, whether you be, not you believe in him as the Word incarnate, or even if you do believe it in, in Jesus as the incarnate Word of God, and then we can get into what that even means. Um, you know, because Son of God is something that's that's a uh, you know that's the traditional you know Trinitarian. Christian formula that we've uh, we're used to using, but in the ancient world we've seen that that meant something, which is why the New Testament writers used it. It was used of rulers who dominated. So to have a peasant with no army, no political office, who is martyred, be the son of God, that was a powerful message. But you know, so I I believe that that's the reason son of God is used. What I believe is that the Bible um, gives us uh, inspiration and revelation f coming out of a, a specific historical context uh, and then so uses language about God from that context. But our con conceptions of God can be more expansive, can include other things, and we can still root our faith in this Jesus story. That's that's the way I see it. I, 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 I'm a Jesus follower. I root my faith in the Jesus story. Uh, I'm enamored with 
this, this story. Uh, I, you know, I always think that, you know, if, if they ever invent a time machine, you know, people talk about what, what point in time they would go back to. And they, you know, for some reason, people, some people pick the, the, the assassination of JFK. I'm not even sure why. I mean, you know, yeah, that was, I don't know, but I, I've always thought I'd go back to meet Jesus, you know, now it probably would be, you know, I'd have to learn Aramaic or something. Anyway, all my, all I'm saying is that, you know, my faith is rooted. I'm a Jesus follower. My faith is rooted in the gospel. And yet I want to be very honest about what the Bible is and how it speaks and, and the relationship of the gospel narrative to what Jesus said and did. And that's one way to have a high respect for the Bible and for the gospel narrative is to be honest about it. If you are not honest about it, if we are not honest about it, then we do not respect the text. Then we have not studied. If we haven't been diligent enough to study it, to notice the differences between the different gospels in their details and to think about, well, what does that mean for their relationship to Jesus and what he actually said and did, then we don't have a very much respect for the text uh, because we have not thought about it deeply. We've not examined it even enough. It, it always amazes me people who claim deep and profound and rock steady faith, and yet they haven't even noticed the discrepancies, the changes in details, and they haven't uh, examined these texts very much. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say when I encounter those people, but part of me wants to say, you don't really believe in this and you don't really, because you don't really take it that seriously because you haven't examined it enough to notice the discrepancies. If you haven't examined it that closely, then you're really not committed to it. And if you're really not committed to it, you really don't believe in it in any substantial way. You're just, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what kind of games you're playing with yourself and other people. And I know that's very, maybe that's very harsh. I don't know. I apologize. Anyway, I'm getting away from this. So what did Jesus, what did Jesus say, uh, say? So I, I think Jesus could have easily uh, foretold the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, whether by supernatural means or not. And I don't actually rule out supernatural means because I have seen people be healed and I can't explain it any other way. We prayed for them. They got healed. They were my friends. I knew them. I knew them before. I knew them after. So I don't rule out the supernatural, even though intellectually I have a hard time with it. My experience tells me that can be, and intellectually I have to be honest enough to say, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can't just assume that what I can understand or take in intellectually is the limit of what reality is, especially when I've experienced stuff that I can't explain. Anyway, so I don't rule out whether he could do it supernaturally or not supernaturally, but you don't even have to appeal to that. He could have easily foretold the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, did he uh, say it? Did he, did he get it wrong? Who, who knows? Uh, but Mark, and then Matthew followed Mark, Mark shaped it in a certain way where the, the detail was not exact, but still, the message, and this is what's important, is the message. That's what was important in 
antiquity, and that's what's important in the gospel, is the message. That's why, you know, I don't worry about whether um, the details are right, whether, you know, Mark has only one gathering demoniac and Matthew has two. Who cares? The story, the power of that story. It's an incredible story about exercising the demons of empire. I mean, it's just incredibly profound. So I don't worry about the details. So did Jesus get it wrong or not uh, in detail? I don't know. Maybe he got it right and maybe Mark, <laughs> in shaping it for his audience, messed it up. I don't know. Um, and you know, there, there's, there are some scholars that... Uh, that they, that's the way they talk about, uh, the development of the text. Like they'll, they'll try to get back to what Jesus actually said. Uh, these days, a lot of scholars that do redaction criticism, and that's, that's, redaction criticism is looking at how the text got developed, uh, how, how it, how it developed to the point it is now. And these days, a lot of scholars don't even try to get back to Jesus. They, they figure that's sort of impossible. But most they might try to get back to, uh, the first generation of Jesus followers in the 30s or something like that. And some of them don't even try to get back that far. But but some do. Uh, like uh, William Herzog, uh, in his book, Parables as Subversive Speech, Jesus' Pedagogy of the Oppressed, you know, he tries to do redaction criticism to get back to what Jesus probably said. And he does that in a way to show that Jesus was more subversive and was on the side of the oppressed, whereas the gospel writers uh, have already fudged it. By that point, uh, they are, they're not just softening what Jesus says, sometimes they're reversing it. Um, some, so they're, they have sort of distorted it, and it's almost more of a pro-establishment you know, version of what Jesus says. So it's, it's already been distorted in the gospels. So there are scholars that do that, um, and and I disagreed with them. I think that the Gospels themselves are highly subversive and on the side of the oppressed. And then I usually try not to speculate what Jesus actually said and did, but I sort of believe or hope or that you know it, it's all in the spirit. It's not exact. But it's the spirit of what Jesus said. It's it's close enough, um, and it's what we've got in our faith communities today. This is the text we got. So I normally, what I have tried to do, uh, is just just do uh, just just work with the text that we have, put it in its historical setting and in its literary setting, but not speculate about the development. Now, admittedly, I did that. I started speculating a little bit in this last episode, episode 59 on chapter 24, when I talked about when when Mark was written from which Matthew got the got got the text. So that was start I dipped my toe into redaction criticism. I usually don't do that, even though that's what a lot of scholarship is today. A lot of scholarship is redaction criticism. Um, I stay away from it, uh, just because usually I don't find it that interesting. And, um, the further you get into it, the more speculative it gets. And, uh, sometimes it gets into circular reasoning. Um, and that's not to just totally bash it. I'm, I'm pointing out some of what I think the weaknesses are, 
but I have high respect for the scholars that do it. I've read a lot of scholarship, you know, that does redaction criticism. I just find it more interesting to work with the text that we have and try to understand it, give it the benefit of the doubt, um, which is what I do. I do that with every text I come to. I try to give it the benefit of the doubt and to hear it at its strength. And then once I've done that, I can come back and, and maybe, uh, you know, look at its weaknesses, but I always try to hear a text at its strength. So, so this is where I kind of, I disagree with those people that have the hermeneutic of suspicion. I understand where that comes from, from, from some people. Um, and you know, fine. That's, that's another approach. My approach is to try to hear a text at its strength. And so for the, and the gospels to me, I think have a lot of strength. So I have almost, uh, very rarely in this podcast series you heard, I have I said anything critical of the text, but in you know in chapter twenty three and chapter twenty four, I have you know had to you know because I'm trying to be honest about the text. I've had to sh- say in these couple of places they got the historical detail wrong or they got the literary allusion wrong, you know, because I'm being honest about the text because I'm studying it, I'm looking at it. And believe me, I have done my best to give it the benefit of the doubt. So I think that Jesus could have uh, foretold the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Israel. He could have seen it coming. The signs were there for decades. He could have done it with supernatural pre-knowledge or not. Um, I don't know whether he got that detail wrong. He could have done that. It doesn't really matter because the message is what's important. The the prophetic elements of what he's saying are still there. If you think of uh, you know, prophetic speech as uh, insightful, incisive, um, and revealing things and, and delivering a profound message and warning people about what is coming down the road in a very profound and insightful way, that's what he was doing. And just to be able to predict it, even if he got the details wrong, uh, still he is, you know, my hero and my liberator because he, you know, that, uh, that's good enough. So I don't know who got it wrong, whether it was Jesus or Mark or whatever, or both of them. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me. Jesus, you know, foretold and, and then, uh, did he, did he talk about it? Um, did he talk about it in conjunction with his own martyrdom? Um, I, I don't know how Jesus actually would have talked about it. Um, I can certainly believe that Jesus, uh, you know, predicted his own martyrdom and called other people to follow after him and talked about martyrdom in very profound ways, uh, as the way to defeat empire, a martyrdom and prophetic witness, uh, as opposed to violence, uh, which anybody could see was not going to work. Um, and he, I think he could have talked about it as the coming of the son of man. The coming of the son of man was one of their texts. Jesus didn't even have to be literate. Uh, they were, you know, in the oral culture, he, this was likely in the air and he, you know, had heard these texts read in synagogue. Yes, synagogues were political assemblies, but they were also, they also had elements that we would think of as religious. They read their their texts. And so he would have heard about it. He would have known uh, that the coming of the Son of Man vision from Daniel was a vision of 
the people of Israel triumphing over oppressive empires. And he, the, you know, I think it's very likely Jesus could have talked about his own martyrdom, predicted it, and the martyrdom of other people who follow in the same path as the coming of the Son of Man, the way to defeat the empire. And then Mark and Matthew put it all together with the destruction of Jerusalem in this very masterful discourse. And it's it's faithful to what Jesus actually said uh, in his message. Uh, so that's the way I think about it. And I don't, I don't feel like I have to be sure about any of this intellectually. Uh, I can have my intellectual doubts, but my spirit is committed to the way of Jesus. And I believe that God will honor uh, our commitments and our trust in the way of Jesus and in, in the spirit of Jesus, no matter what intellectual doubts we might have. Intellectually, there are times where it's hard to believe any of this, but and and so I'm, I I I I'm try I try to be as comfortable as I can with that and as honest I can as I can about it without offending other people. I realize I'm not trying to offend anybody. My commitment is to the way of Jesus and to and to the gospel. That's the way I understand it. Anyway, so let me go on. Um, one more thing that I was thinking about is is the whole thing of where Jesus says all these things will be accomplished before everyone here is dead. You know, a lot of people here will still be alive when all these things have come to pass. And what I'm claiming is that Jesus is collapsing a lot of things in in that statement. He's talking about his own crucifixion. People will still be alive to see that because that will be in just a few days. People will see the crucifixion of others in the movement because that would happen in not too distant future. Some people might even, at that point, uh, might even live to see the crucifixion of Israel. Uh, not that many people would have been, would have lived that long. Uh, people didn't usually live very long in antiquity, and especially if they were already adults in the year 30, to live 40 more years. But somebody could have. There were people that probably did. Uh, and then also people in Matthew's audience, and Matthew wrote after 70 CE, so people in Matthew's audience would definitely have lived through it. So you have to understand these texts are speaking sort of both to Jesus' audience in the story and to the audience of the gospel. So I think, so all that's collapsed. And I make the claim that this generation refers to the old generation, the the old social order which is being defeated by the movement that Jesus creates. Uh, and that is still going on today. Like we are still fighting that battle. So uh, so the old generation still hasn't died off, right? So, and I, I, what I'm claiming is those are all collapsed together. But I was left with a little bit of discomfort in that. And then I realized that it's probably because this is something that Mark and Matthew have done. They've collapsed all these things together. And that probably originally the statement just referred to, I think I think it referred to the destruction of Jerusalem, um, that some people would live to see that, uh, especially 
in the audiences Mark and Matthew were talking to, but it maybe even in, in Jesus, people from Jesus' day, that they they would live to see that. I think originally it was a statement about that, and then Mark and Matthew wove it into this much more profound discourse, which was still still faithful to the way Jesus talked, but really spoke to the audiences that they were addressing. Um, and so for Mark, uh, it was still more of a warning. Matthew, it develops a little bit, and it's looking back. He keeps a lot of the same verbiage. So th- that's the way I understand it. Now, I, that is, to say all that, is a fair amount of redaction criticism. In fact, I just did redaction criticism that goes all the way back to Jesus. Uh, but uh, I, I, I want to say that I realize that, first of all, that I did that. Uh, I usually do not do that. And uh, I'm just suggesting a possibility too. I'm not... I'm, this is not at all, I'm not saying this with any you know, high degree of certainty. I'm just saying why it might feel a little bit a stretch to, to see that statement as encompassing all the things I said it encompassed. Because I think maybe originally it didn't. And Mark and Matthew are making it encompass those things. So that's my current, just, that's just my current thinking, how that developed in the text, why it is that way. And so, yeah, I'm appealing to a little bit of redaction criticism. I usually don't do that. But at this point, that's just the way I'm thinking about it. I'm committed to the way of Jesus, to the words of uh, of Jesus as we have received them, which are in the Gospels in the New Testament. That's what we have received. And I'm committed to that story. Although I, I don't say this without any intellectual doubt, um, because there are scholars that say, that very little of what Jesus actually said and did is reflected in the Gospels other than that he lived, that he was crucified by the authorities, you know, that he was some kind of troublemaker. Um, beyond that, there's not much, you know. So because they're saying that and they make good arguments, yes, I have intellectual doubts, but still in my faith as I move forward, I the way I think about it is that Jesus what he said and did was close enough to what we have in the gospels that we can kind of just go with it. And at any rate, I'm kind of, I, I guess this is where I get pragmatic. And I just say, what we have is the gospels in the new Testament. That's what our faith communities have. That's what I'm going to work with. And I'm going to study them as closely as I can and be as honest as I can about them because I have a deep respect for these texts and I have a deep respect for this story uh, that has shaped my life and has shaped the lives of many people. And I urge other people to uh, examine these texts closely uh, as if your life depended on it, because I think our lives do. Thanks. So those are my thoughts. So may the rest of your day or week or evening, wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this, be blessed with mercy and compassion and uh, prophetic inspiration and insight uh, as we follow in the way of Jesus or depending on where your faith is or inspired by the way of Jesus. Um, Thank you very much.